Hi, this is Robert Furrow and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. We don't want to just believe something because we've been taught it, but we want to be like the Bereans who search the Scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things were true. Uh, We want to make sure uh, that we are giving God's Word the proper place in our life. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Everything that we need can be found in the pages of the Word of God. And uh, there was a time when Jesus was teaching and somebody yelled out to him, Blessed is the woman who bore you and the, the breast that nursed you. And Jesus said, Yes, but more so are those who obey my word. What an incredible statement that when we obey his word, more blessed than Mary that was able to raise Jesus, give birth to the Son of God, and to raise him. And that's pretty amazing and gives God's word a high place in our lives. It is we, we have a high bibliology. We believe God's Word is what well, we need to be studying, following, and living for. Now, we've got a first question, and let's see. Yeah, so this is, uh, what was the power of the Spirit that came upon the disciples in Acts 1.8? So Jesus told them that they were to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them And when they were, they would be empowered to be his disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem being closer, Judea a little farther out, Samaria a little farther out, uh, and the utterance of the earth everywhere around the world. This is actually a prophecy by Jesus within a, a decade and a half or so, maybe two decades from the time that Jesus gave it, that it was recorded and then the gospel was taken around the world and the idea is that the holy spirit is given to us to help us do our job so our job is to be light and salt our job is for people to look at us and see christ in us the hope of glory jesus said if anyone comes unto me and drinks out of him will gush torrents of living water and then we're told in john 7 by john that this spoke of the holy spirit that would be given So we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and then he gushes out of us everywhere we go. I believe that we are used by God more than we could ever imagine, more than we ever know. We think I'm not being used by God, but everywhere we go, we're shining light as as spiritually. We are salt that stops corruption spiritually. We add the savor of God to this world. This world without God is bland. But when we are the salt of the earth everywhere we go, we are to bring the savor of God into into this world. And the Holy Spirit is given to us and empowers us to be witnesses. You may have experienced it when you are sharing Christ and all of a sudden you just start to go. Scriptures start coming to mind. You're moving and and you're thinking, this is really good. And that's because it's a gift of the Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working upon you to reach that individual for Christ. 
And remember, God's the one who brings them into the kingdom. All we do is plant seeds and water those seeds, and then people enter in to the kingdom of God. So what was the power of the Spirit that came upon the disciples in Acts 1.8? It was the power to be witnesses. There is, and you can go through the book of Acts and you can do this, you can look at every place the Spirit comes upon people and you can look at different things that, things that happen, but all of those things are so they can be witnesses for Jesus. One of the reasons that Paul says in Acts 14 that he would rather prophesy than speak in tongues is because, because tongues edifies yourself and prophecy edifies everyone who was there um, and everyone who can hear. And so, um, how do we receive the Holy Spirit like this? Well, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again. Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And then we ask God for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we ask him. Also in the book of Acts, there was the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit was given. Um, I had said last week, I don't care if you call it received, upon, baptized in, filled with, overflowing, doesn't matter to me. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. And uh, he comes alongside of us that we might be able to live the lives that God wants us to live. He gives us direction. It's like wind that we don't know where it comes from, but the Spirit comes in our lives and actually begins to do things that are extremely powerful for each one of us. So thank you for the question. This was submitted in a previous Q&A. And uh, I wanna uh, welcome you guys that are joining us today. Uh, if you have a question, write the word question or a Q or a question mark in front of it, and we will add um, and we'll look at those questions uh, as they come in. I want to welcome those of you who are watching from Facebook and from YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate you. Um, and um, one of the amazing things, uh, we just, this, um, just a couple weeks ago, crossed 2 million views on YouTube, which is just pretty amazing. And the reason that I get so excited about that is because all of our videos are about Christ and about how to live for him. So we have had two million people click on our videos because they are interested in what is being said about Jesus. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And if you're watching us from YouTube, then subscribe. Um, the more you do that, the more YouTube pushes it out and the more people we will reach. So subscribe and ring the bell and um, go ahead and like uh, the videos that you're watching as well. All of those things help the metrics out. But um, we really are humbled and privileged to be able to speak for Christ and to have so many people have been touched that um, two million people would have logged into um, our videos. That is absolutely amazing. All right, so our first question today will come from, our second question today will come from Tyler. Tyler Aiken, Tyler, good to see you. As always, um, will I be able to watch the Pastors Conference this year online? Yes, you will be able to watch the Pastors Conference online. Um, I'm trying to think if I can get, let me see if I can get this up on the, um, on my, my phone and, um, I'll, I'll talk to you about this as 
we as I look for this. Uh, so yeah, our pastors conference is this up and coming week. It is. It wants to verify that it's me. Now I've got to verify it. All right, so I'm not going to be able to show you. Um, so we've got our pastors conference uh, coming this week, and um, we are. I'm going to be able to show you. I can get around this. Um, and and we have several people that are coming in to speak, and we've got somewhere around a thousand people that will be coming from all across the United States. These are pastors and leaders uh, that will be coming to see this conference. Uh, there was a $20 charge for online, and we just decided to waive that. There was no reason to have it. Um, so uh, we went ahead and waived it. And I'm almost, almost there. All right, hold on. Um, all right, so let's see if I can show this here, all right? So, eh, it's not gonna work as good as I thought it would work. So you can see that we've got all of them already up and posted. If you go to our YouTube page, um, then you can just uh, set a reminder. Um, you can click. We have uh, David Guzek, who's gonna be teaching twice. We've got Dr. Mark, Mark Hitchcock, who has written a lot of books. Uh, Dr. Ed Hansen, who's written a lot of books on, on prophecy. We'll have a Q&A panel that will have all of these guys on there. Skip Heitzig, who's written several books. Um, one of them called You Can Understand the Book of Revelation. Somebody called Robert Furrow and another teaching by David Guzek. So it's, it's a, 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 a prophecy conference. We'll be talking about Russia and Ukraine and there'll be just a lot of really interesting stuff coming up, going on and if you log on to YouTube, uh, you'll be able to watch uh, any of those, all right? And they'll also be up afterwards as well. So thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate uh, your question. And uh, Tyler uh, works at our church. He's our media director. So good to see you, Tyler. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question concerning the days that are in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel 12, 12, and I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not gonna be a lot of help to you, Andre, in this, particular, in this particular one, because I have questions about it myself. So there are things within prophecy that are very clear. I believe in interpreting prophecy as literally as you can. Sometimes you can't interpret it literally. Sometimes it's a beast that comes out of, you know, the ocean with 10 horns and, Three of them kill off the other, you know, or, or one of them kills off three of them. And, and, and then you know that's not literal. There's not a literal beast like that. That's talking about a kingdom and the horn represents power. So we know there's a lot of allegory and prophecy. But we also know that when something is talking about something that's just like, I will call my son out of Egypt in the Old Testament, Jesus literally was called out of Egypt. Um, he will be born in, in Bethlehem. He was literally born in Bethlehem. The sins of the world would be laid upon him. The sins of the world were laid upon him. Uh, they would divide his, gar his garments and for his cloak cast lots. Literally, that happened. He cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Literally, that happened. And you can go on and on with Old Testament prophecies um, that the city of Tyre would be scraped clean and the rocks would be thrown into the sea. Literally, that happened. Uh, there are some allegories in the Old Testament, like Alexander the Great is represented by a goat. And so he sees a goat that has one horn and he's a strong goat. And it talks about what the goat does. And they're the things Alexander the Great did. So that was not fulfilled literally. So, but when you got a, go a big, large goat doing things, then you know that they're not literal. Um, and so 
this particular section, and I'm going to go ahead and pull up uh, this section out of Daniel and read it to you. It, it has a lot of different interpretations, Andre, and that's probably why, and, and I'm not settled on any one of them. The days don't add up to the normal days that a lot of um, that a lot of prophecies do, and it gives it's a warning. Blessed are those who waits. So um, let me just come back a little bit. I always like to come back and get things in context. Uh, so yeah, this is a great section of scripture. Um, how far do I want to go back? Um, let's go to. I don't want to go to one. It's too long. Um, let's go to. I think we'll go to seven. Let's start there. So let me go ahead and put this on the screen for you. And then we'll go ahead and pick it up. All right. So I want to start at verse seven, where it says that I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be a time times and a half a times when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered all thing, all these things shall be finished. So this is either the first half of the tribulation period or the second half of the tribulation period. You have the 70th week of Daniel, which is seven years. It's broken up into two periods. The second is worse than the first. All of it is the wrath of God. Um, but the people of Israel are being attacked and, um, and they come back to Christ through being attacked. And then he says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And God said, go your way, Daniel, for these words will be closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Then he says this, many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but the wise shall understand. So there's gonna be a polarization in the last days. The church is going to be doing more and more work and growing more and more, reaching more and more people, but there's going to be more and more wicked. And the end of Revelation says the same thing. And from the time that the daily sacrifice was taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, that's the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, which has not been built now, which could be built quickly, which I understand they have set up ready to rebuild and they'll reinstitute sacrifices for three and a half years. Or if, it's, if the temple's built during the tribulation period, then it will be less than three and a half years, but then the sacrifices will be stopped. The abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will set up his statue in the temple, demand worship and the statue will speak. And from that time and that daily sacrifice taken away and the abomination of desolation set up there, there shall be 1,290 days. So um, I'm trying to think of how many that days that is. All right. And then it says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end uh, for, uh, for you shall rest and arise and your inheritance is at the end of days. So 1,335 days as opposed to uh, the one before that, the wicked shall stand, um, there shall be 1,290 days. So instead of 1,335 days. So I can tell you, this is one of the passages that cults have grabbed onto and they use it to try because it's mysterious, because it's hard to figure out. Um, my understanding, seal these things up until the time of the end, is that we will understand it as things unfold more. But 
I don't know that we understand it now. I'm not saying that people don't give explanations. There's a lot of them out that are out there, but none of them have been satisfactory for me. So this particular passage, Andre, is on my shelf for further information. Something I want to study more, something I want to look at. Um, I am interested in suggestions people have. Who knows? Maybe one of those suggestions uh, that could be brought up as to what this is could be what's right and proper. I'm just not satisfied with all of them that are that have been given. Okay? So thank you, Andre. I really appreciate your question. Let me go ahead and go back here and I actually think it's here. There we go. And we have another question from Dale. And Dale says, why isn't the US mentioned in the book of Revelation? Uh, well, there could be several reasons. We might be no longer a world power. And so we don't come into play. We might not be significant to the Middle East. You would think that the superpower in the world would be mentioned. So many people have brought this up. And maybe it is. When Russia, along with the coalition of Turkey, Libya, and the Sudan, this is Ezekiel 38 and 39, come against Israel, which I believe I'm accurate in saying it's not part of NATO, and they attack it, the young lions stand by and say, what are you doing? So they can't do anything. Israel is our, our ally and we will not step up to protect them. Maybe we can't. Maybe politically we refuse to. Anti-Semitism is growing in the world today and it's growing rapidly, by the way. And so, who knows? It could be um, that we are just insignificant by that point and we're, not, and we're not mentioned. It could be the United States is Mystery Babylon, which is a system or something, it's a mystery, that causes the merchants of the world to get rich and then is destroyed. And when it's destroyed, all the merchants of the earth uh, mourn because they've made money on it. I also believe that the wealth of the world is rising during these days. Um, I have a few reasons for believing that. The wealth of the world is rising now and the gospel is received strongest by the poor, which should tell us by the way, where our target audiences are for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. And I think the poor respond to the gospel for, for various reasons. Um, so we might be Mystery Babylon. We might be the young lions. England being the lion, us being the young lions might be that. There's a couple other passages that are like that. I do have a hot topic that um, is the United States in, uh, in prophecy or in the Bible. And it, it goes into more detail on this topic. So um, Keith, I think I saw you here today. Keith's are one of our moderators. Uh, welcome. If um, one of our mods could go and find that video, just go to YouTube, look up America, it'll come up. And then if you can put the link in the chat, um, then you can click on that and watch it. And I give four or five possibilities and one of those possibilities is that the united states is no more during the last days 
which is a scary thought that we could be so strong, but we would become so weak that when the end of the world comes, which I believe is close, um, then we are not even mentioned. I hope that's helpful, Dale. Um, when we have questions like that, we can't always be 100% sure exactly um, what those are. Uh, so we have a question from Diana. Diana, good to see you. And Diana says, in Luke 17, 22 through 30, it says one left behind and one taken. That's, by the way, an absolutely great section of scripture. Uh, it's, um, it's the one that talks about the last days will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Noah was taken into the ark and then destruction came. Lot was taken out of the city and then destruction came. And then it has these people who are together and one is taken and one is left behind. Uh, so I do want to pull this text up. I'm not sure if we'll go there or not. I'll look at the rest of your question. Why would one be taken out of the bed and one left if they would be married and equally yoked? Well, I think the answer to that, Diana, would be they aren't. There are a lot of people who are not equally yoked in marriage for various reasons. Sometimes people fall in love and they're more committed to the love of that person than they are to the love of God. So when God says, don't be unequally yoked, they go, mm, I'm going to do it anyway. It'll be okay. I'll win them over. I know better than God. And I can tell you that when, when, when those thoughts, I know better than God, I know the Bible says this, but I don't think that's what it means. It's always bad news. That's why we should do what God says. That's why if you're dating someone who you're, you're not equally yoked to, then stop. Then break it off before it turns into something more serious that could end up in marriage. Think about your children. I don't think there's any, talk about a great love. We have a great love for our kids. When I looked into the eyes of, of my daughter, when she was born, my oldest, my life changed. There was now someone in the world that's far more important than me. My wife was more important than me, but all of a sudden, if I had to move heaven and earth for her, I would. And that's pretty significant. And when you bring your child into the world and you're not equally yoked, there's going to be an influence in that child's life that is going to be a negative influence. The Bible says, raise a child in the ways of the Lord, and when he is old, he will not depart. And, and that's one of the things that I think is so bad about being unequally yoked. Plus, there's going to be pressure to do things that are ungodly. I was, in, in both of my marriages, we were able to keep ourselves pure before we were married. And that's because we both had a desire to love God. Doesn't mean the temptations weren't there. When you want to marry someone, you're sexually draw, uh, attract, attracted to them. At least you should be. If you're not, then there's problems. So yeah, there can be difficulties. But when you really love God and you're equally yoked with someone, you find yourself wanting to do the things that God wants to do and you're not being pressured to do things that are wrong. And if you are living together, 
it's again one of those things that a lot of people a lot of Christians do because they feel like I know it's you know this isn't bad it's okay um, and I, I'm strong and being sexually active isn't that much of a problem but it is and it needs to be addressed and you need to move out do the thing you've got to do and people will say well we can't it's too, it's too expensive or too, you know financial it's going to hurt us hey that's a sacrifice we are called to sacrifice to God and it's a sacrifice. You say, well, it's, it's a huge sacrifice for me, but then great. You know, go to your church, talk to your, talk to your pastor, talk to one of your pastors, talk to your deacons, find out if they can help you to be able to do it. Go to friends, find a place to stay, uh, go, go back to your mom and dad's house. Do whatever you've got to do to be able to make sure that you're doing what God's called you to do. And so uh, this is two men in one bed, by the way, in in Luke 17, which is no funny business going on there. It's just the way things were in their day. And they had a certain amount of beds in, in a room and two men were in bed. It didn't even mean they were in the same bed, but and one will be taken and the other one left. Two men in a field grinding corn, one taken or grinding some kind of a grain, one taken and another left. So um, there are a lot of people who are unequally yoked and it's unfortunate. When they get married, then if the, if the Bible says, if the believer wants to stay, then stay. And so, I mean, if the non-believer wants to stay, then stay. If the non-believer wants to quit the marriage because they say this is too hard, then you're no longer bound. You're free. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can do a little bit more research on it. So kind of a sad question if you think about two people being married, one taken and one left, and they're not equally yoked. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe the good thing that would come out of it is that that person would learn, see what happens when, when we're taken out of the way, which so much is gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of weird things going on in the world. It's gonna be blamed on aliens. It's gonna be blamed on evolution. Evolution just took Christians out of the world. There'll be a lot of things it's blamed on. Um, we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Good to have you with us. Jari says, my dog passed away. And I'm sorry to hear that. Um, we love our pets. And it can be really hard when an animal that is a companion to us passes away. Um, especially dogs are so affectionate. Cats, meh. But dogs are so affectionate and want affection. And when they go, it's really hard. And I'm grieving, do other living things go to heaven or hell when they die? Thank you. Continue to pray for me. All right, sorry, Jari, I know you're going through a tough time and just let me give you a little bit of advice about grief. You've got to go through it. Sometimes what people do is they look for a distraction. They want to find a way to not feel as bad as they're feeling. And so sometimes temptations can get stronger and you end up doing things that you wish you wouldn't have done. Just know you're going to feel bad and there is no way to go around it. And there'll be a time for you to, to, to get another dog and to bring another dog into your life. It might not be right now, it might be right now. Some people go out and get a new pet almost immediately and it really helps them and it can be really helpful. The question of whether or not there are, that the dogs and animals go to heaven. I found over the years that people that love pets and have them, pastors, leaders, theologians, they're going to find things in the Bible that will say the pets go to heaven. People that don't care so much about pets, they're going to go, 
nah, they're not going to go to heaven. And you know what that tells me? That the matter's not settled. The matter, Jari, is an I don't know. We do know that Jesus returns on a white horse. So that's an animal in heaven, right? Um, unless it's just created for that particular moment. We do know that there will be animals on earth during the, the tribulation, I mean, during the millennium. And then we go on into eternity. If something is really that important to you as a believer, then maybe God will do it. And, and I don't know. Um, this is one of the things that I have to say, I don't know. But I do know it's very, it's very real. Grieving is very real over a, an animal. And sometimes people will say, gosh, how, you know, it's just an animal. Why are you so grieving so much for it? Um, because you love it. And maybe have a little mercy and compassion on someone when they're going through grieving. People can grieve all kinds of things. Yes, the loss of a child or the loss of a spouse is, is, is the ultimate grieving. We understand that. But the loss of someone we love is, is hard. But you can grieve your health. You could grieve a life, somewhere you're living in a lifestyle and something's going on and then it changes. You can grieve that. You can grieve an animal that's lost. You know, I had a, um, I had a dog who was killed by coyotes. And when I found it and buried it, man, I mean, I bawled, I bawled like a baby while I was burying it. And um, it was a chihuahua. And I didn't even like chihuahuas. It was my older boy's dog, really. Um, but I'd grown to love that dog, you know? A little dog come and sit in your lap while you're watching TV, just, you know, wanting to be petted. And um, so I understand it. And I'm, I will be praying for you. I know you're going through a hard time, Jari. And I wish you weren't. Um, but uh, God will be able to take you through this. Lean on him. He's the one that can take us through any grieving period, anything that we are facing that we are grieving about. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Really glad that you're here. Uh, we take questions from YouTube and three places on Facebook. We don't always get to all the questions, uh, but if you continue to write them down, we'll look at them later to put them into questions for the beginning because we always come up with the first question for our Q&A and we'll put it into that. Um, so we have a question from Albert. And Albert, I think I made a, a slide for this for future Q&A, but answering the question twice won't be a bad thing. Um, Albert said, hello, Pastor. Do you believe Jesus uh, began his ministry at the age of 30 to follow the Levitical law mentioned in Numbers 4.3? Uh, thank you, Pastor. Um, I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> I, I hate when I cop out like this. I'm going to tell you what my thinking is here. Jesus is not a Levite. So you have a Levitical law that they would begin to work as priests or work around the temple or um, work doing whatever part their family was doing. Remember, because there were different families from the Levites that did different things within the temple. And um, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, but he is a high priest according to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is that Old Testament um, king that shows up mysteriously with bread and wine, does have the beginning of days or end of days in the book of, uh, we're told in the book of Hebrews, um, Abraham gives 10% to him. We're told that 
the lesser blesses the greater. Well, at that time on the earth, Abraham seems to be God's representative. So this may have been Jesus. I don't know how dogmatic we can be. That's how I lean towards that. And um, so, was there that connection? And I hate to do this to you, Albert, but maybe. Seems to be around 30 when Jesus started his ministry. He was a priest by the order of Melchizedek, but not a Levi. And um, remember, John is. And John is six months older than Jesus. And John is from the family of Levi. They're related. And you could have, remember, you could be related to someone from the tribe of Levi and you're from the tribe of Judah through marriage. And so they're cousins. And so John starts his ministry six months before Jesus, probably at 30, and then Jesus starts his ministry, which is why we think that. Maybe it's connected to John more than Jesus. John started his ministry at 30 years old, and then six months later, Jesus started his, giving John time to be the forerunner. So that's my thoughts along those lines. Albert, I think it's a it's a really good question. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of thinking that we should do along those lines. Um, we want to make sure that we are uh, surrendering to God whenever for God's timing. We want God's perfect timing in our lives. The Bible says that if we meditate on the word of God, we will bring forth fruit in its season. That's Psalms chapter one. And uh, so we have those seasons and it was the season for John and for Jesus. Uh, to do those things. Uh, so we have an explanation from Psychman, looks like our question on a follow-up of the days of Daniel. Psychman, good to see you. Um, aren't these days, Andre's question, Daniel 12, 12, simply giving us 42 months, 3.5 years period, just being started in the days to be absolutely clear from the abomination until the end. Yeah, the problem is the extra days that are added on. And I don't want to sit here and do math. I want to do math later. Um, it hasn't been that long ago that I taught Daniel and really dove into that section. And psych man, I can tell you, I didn't find anything that was satisfying when I did it. I really took some time to look and see if I could figure this out. Because like I said, the cults use these days to, to try to connect them to the return of Jesus when they said Jesus was going to return. So um, I'm going to have to take a pass on that and not say whether I think that's right or wrong uh, until I, I get a chance to be able to take some look at, to take a longer look at it. And that may be a while because tonight we have a teaching, tomorrow morning we have a teaching, Monday we have our conference starting, Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday I have a teaching in the conference. So I got a lot going on right now, but I will be taking time to look this up a little bit later on and I'll come back and revisit your question, Andre, as to whether or not this is plausible or, or something that I think that that could be. Um, but there's extra days that are giving, given. So, you know, what do the extra days mean? Blessed are those who make it to this time, you know? So thank you, um, Psych Man. I appreciate that and good to see you, by the way. Um, and so Nicole says, what are your thoughts on Enoch and where can someone find a legitimate place to study about Enoch? Well, that's a good question. Um, 
I assume you're talking about the book of Enoch and it's quoted in the book of Jude. That doesn't mean, there's other books that are not scripture that are quoted in, in the Bible. So that doesn't mean Enoch is scripture. Enoch has a lot of strange things that are in it. Strange things don't necessarily mean it's not true. There are a lot of strange things in the Bible too that are true. Uh, but my thoughts on the book of Enoch is it can be helpful to study it because you're looking at a first century writing and you're getting into the mind of what people were thinking when Jesus was talking about the things that he was talking about. And sometimes you can gain an insight into what Jesus said by studying some of these books that and, and the ways that the rabbis believed. Um, there is a book that talks about what first century priests wrote about, what they believed, and it can be very, very helpful to us when it comes to us interpreting passages that Jesus says through our culture. They mean one thing, but when we get into the other culture, it can mean something else. I'm sorry that I don't have anything about where you can study the book of Enoch at. I wish I did, um, but I don't. And uh, maybe some of you guys know of a, have a resource for the book of Enoch that's a good resource for it. Um, I haven't read anything on it. Not that I'm not interested in it. It's something I would read if I could find a good book on it, but I've never read anything on the book of Enoch. Um, read a little bit of it, but never anything on it. Um, and uh, so I'm going to have to kind of opt out of that question, Nicole. Um, and sorry about that. Feels like I'm opting out of quite a few things today, but some, sometimes it's like that. You know, you just don't want to answer things just to answer them. I realize that some people do. They all, they'll always, you know, either maybe change it a little bit to be able to come up with something uh, that they that they can answer. So, um, all right, I'm, we have a question here from Annika. Annika, Annika, good to see you. Annika says, "What are some practical ways to delight in God?" And um, this is a this is a great passage, right? Um, delight yourself in the Lord. The Bible says and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself in God, then you find your heart changing, that you can give God the things that God wants to give you. It is a passage I use often. I, I use it when I'm talking to people about temptation because if delighting myself in God, he'll give me the desires of my heart, that means I'm beginning to have desires that are godly and I can overcome ungodly desires. The New Testament equivalent is John 15, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you desire and it will be given to you. So, so very much like it. So I think your question would include that. How do you delight? How do you abide? And how does God's word abide in you? So delighting in God. Thank you, Annika, for your question, by the way. This is a great, a great question. Uh, delighting in God, first of all, would be letting praise really flow from your heart of who he is. Can you imagine if, if God wasn't a good God or if God didn't himself delight in mercy and abound in generousness? 
that, that God, there's so many good things that the Bible says about God. And the interesting thing is, is that most often when you're giving, when the Bible is telling people, the Bible tells people to praise God for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, for he is great, he has great loving, loving kindness. We're told by, by writers of the gospels to, to, to lift God up. And someone says, well, but God is, it's inspired by God. Yeah, but God's inspiring this guy to write something that's in his heart. And the more we learn about the greatness of God, the more we are going to praise him and lift him up, and the more we're going to delight in him. The Bible says that God is totally awesome. That was a, that went back, back in the days of the Valley Girl. That was a great joke because that's what it says. God is totally awesome. And back in those days, people would say hamburgers. It's totally awesome, dude. But when the Bible says God's totally awesome, the idea of being awestruck by him, uh, if I were you, Annika, I would begin to study passages in the Bible that talk about God's greatness. You could just search. What does the Bible say about God's greatness? And then memorize passages on it. Let your heart overflow. Man is made to praise and we do praise things. When something good happens to us, we praise it. When we hear of somebody that's, that's good, we praise it. When uh, somebody has a great performance at the Super Bowl, people are talking about it for days to come. Did you believe what he did and the shots that he made or, or the, the passes that he made or the catch, the receptions? They praise it because we're made when something good happens to have praise flow out of us. And when you study God's greatness, you find yourself wanting to delight in him. I would also say spending time with him, walking with him, taking walks with him. The more time you spend with him, the more you're gonna bond with him. I think there are a lot of Christians who haven't bonded with God. We bond with our animals, we bond with our spouses, we bond with children. I find it interesting how easy it is to bond with a child. Adults aren't that easy. But children, you know, when they first meet you, they'll look at you and you are not familiar. And I love, they, they may even look at you out of the side of their eyes. They're like looking towards their mom and dad, but they're like looking at you like, I don't know you, I don't know about you. But all it takes is a little bit of interacting with them, a little bit of holding them, a little bit of, of loving on them, and they trust you really quickly and you bond with them. The next time that child sees you, he wants to go to you, reaches out his hands to you and wants to go to you. There are many Christians that are not, that haven't bonded with God. And they go, I don't know. I don't want to spend time with them. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read. I don't want to go to church. It's because you haven't bonded with them. The only way to bond, you got to have bonding experiences. If you have a child that you never spend time with, if you're an absentee dad and you never spend time bonding with your children and you wonder why they're so close to the mother but don't want to be around you, it's because you never bonded with them. So you have to bond with God. You do that by listening to his word by reading his word, by going to church, by doing the things that he said, by abiding in his word and letting his word abide in you. And you end up bonding with God and having that really close relationship with him. And Annika, it's very, very powerful because if you bond with him, 
then when you don't pray, you're gonna miss it. When you don't go to church, you're gonna miss it. When you haven't been in God's word, you're gonna miss it. You end up doing these things because you want to, not because you have to. And you do these things because you love God, not because you wanna get something from God. And there are these huge differences that, that go along those lines. And um, a lot of my advice in parenting is to make sure you bond well with your children. You guys go out and do things together. If you're having problems with them and as a teenager, they're getting at a distance from you, then figure out a way to bond with them. Go and do something together that they want to do. You know, go on a trip and take them fishing for two or three days out on the ocean. Or, you know, if they just go, go up and go skiing with them, um, if that's something that they like to do. Uh, find something that you guys have the same interest in, spend that time together, there will be a bonding and there'll be a lot more respect that that child has for you. The child will miss you when you're not around, will delight to see you. That's the same thing that happens with God. All right, Annika, thank you very much for that question. I hope that is helpful. And um, I, I want to draw closer to him. I want to delight in him. I want to miss him when we're not spending time with him. And so I think it is something that is very powerful. And um, so I think the link is up here from Calvary Tucson. Um, it just says, sorry, here is the link again. Can you put what the title to that link is? I'll post it again, putting what the title of the link is. All right, thank you. Sorry to be picky about that, but I think it would be great if, they, if, if we know um, what it is. All right, so um, we have, uh, all right, so there, there, there's another question here from Psychman on the aura statement about the dead Daniel. And um, I'm going to take my time to look at it first, Psychman. So let's come back to it later on. Um, I, again, you know, when you're answering questions that are off the top of your head, and you don't have time, to, like I don't have time to reference my notes. So I have notes on this, but I don't have time to go back and reference my notes. And that saves me, I go back to the research that I've already done on this. I, 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 I taught Daniel not that long ago. I just can't remember the details. And so I wanna go back and reference those notes. And, I, and I mean, a lot of times you've just gotta pass or do it later on. And um, it is something that looks like it's got a lot of interest, I'll add in at the beginning of one of our Q&As uh, to be able to cover it. I can tell you that though, there are good, solid scholars that disagree on what it means. Theologians and scholars who believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, who will talk about different things. And so there's some decisions that have to be made. Um, we sometimes we become dogmatic over something that we shouldn't be coming, you know, shouldn't be that dogmatic about. All right. So I will come back to that. If you're watching us, joining us for the very first time, really glad you're here. We hope that you're blessed in the time that we can spend answering questions and looking at them through the lens of scripture. If you have a question for us, then write down the word question or put a Q or a question mark in front of it and then go ahead and submit it. Read it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense. Um, that really helps the podcast along. 
And I want to remind you that Truth Quest podcast is a podcast and you can subscribe to it wherever podcasts are at. Uh, and we have our full-length teachings that are on there. We have our hot topics, which are shorter studies on hot topics. And we have these Q&As that are on there. So you can go back and you can listen to ones uh, that you've missed and you can listen to them while you're driving. Uh, so you can subscribe to that there. So if you have a question, write the word question down and then go ahead and submit it and we'll get to it and we will bring it online. Um, so we have a question here from Diana and I thought we answered this question last week. Let me um, bring it in again. Um, and maybe you missed it. Um, and it's, it's a Dane. Dana, um, question are, are there, are there different levels of heaven and hell? Maybe this is a, 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 new, a new person asked the same question. Um, yeah, there's three levels of heavens. The heavens you can see where the birds fly, the heavens you can see where the planets are, and then the heaven that God is in, that his throne is in. And I think that these heavens are all are vast and that heaven might be not a real place. I mean, not a, that heaven, I'm, I'm going to take back not a real place completely. That heaven would not be um, like on the outside of the planets, but maybe it, it's alongside of it. Maybe it's intertwined with it so that the heavens, the godly heavens are all around us, but we don't know. We know that there are angels that are all around us and spirits that are all around us. Hell is also interesting because Jesus said some will be beaten with few stripes and some will be beaten with many stripes. He said it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum and Chorazin on the Day of Judgment. Well, Sodom had a lot of things going on, including not caring about the poor. They had, they had ease, they had everything they needed. They didn't take care of the poor. God says that's why he destroyed them, by the way. They were mistreating people um, and, and then the homosexuality that was taking place there and it was destroyed. But God said it's gonna be more tolerable for them on the Day of Judgment. That's heavy because Chorazin and Capernaum were little Jewish villages, but they had a lot of light where Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have all that light. And, and the Bible's and, and so in the Bible, it talks about the fire, the smoke of the torment going up forever and ever, but uses the word destruction and perish all the time. And I am not an annihilationist, but I do not believe that everybody will be treated the same. And so, what that existence will be like apart from God for Hitler or for your grandma, I don't know. It is dark, it is gnashing of teeth. And there is a debate among genuine Christians as to whether or not there is an annihilation after a period of time. I'm not an annihilationist for a couple of reasons. The main one is, that I think eternity has been set in our hearts. And if I'm right, that Ecclesiastes is saying that humans are eternal because eternity has been set in their heart, then you gotta go somewhere and you're gonna be separated from God forever. And there will be torment that will take place. That torment, smoke of that torment will go forever and ever, meaning it's per, maybe meaning it's permanent. Um, so I don't believe in annihilationism but I can see that you've got to allegorize something when it comes to hell. That, and then there's not different levels of hell. Our idea of hell oftentimes is like the Dante's Inferno, which was from the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, or, you know, Hades, the god of the underworld from the Greek mythology. 
And we have to take, we gotta come back to the Bible and look at what the Bible really says about hell. And part of that is that some are beaten with few stripes. And I, I don't know all of what that means. Another part is that the Bible says people are gonna perish and they're gonna be destroyed. And it says this often. Then it says that they're gonna be gnashing of teeth and darkness and fire and worm never dies. And, and, and these have gotta be, one of them has to be an allegory because destruction is either an allegory for living in hell forever or living in hell forever is an allegory for destruction. One of them has got to be an, a, an allegory. And so I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding about hell and I think a lot of bad teachings about it. And I'm not saying that theologians don't have it right because when, when theologians have put a lot of thought into what the Bible says about hell, then they come up with some really good things. But I think a lot of pastors, unfortunately, have not taught properly on hell because they're afraid that they might be somehow labeled you know, some kind of a heretic. But I, I want to make sure I know what the Bible says and teach what the Bible says. And so, thank you. And I think it's, um, I think it's Dana, thank you for that question. I appreciate that. Um, I do have a teaching on hell coming up pretty soon. I've been promising it for a while. Um, I think there's a place coming up soon I'm going to be able uh, to really look at that. I thought I had one before, but it really didn't, you know, it really didn't um, didn't pan out, and for for several reasons, there were just some other things going on during that time. I wasn't able to put that complete study together. I want to put a little bit more into it. I've been working on it, on it some, and compiling scriptures, and compiling all the passages in the Bible that talk about hell, and um, compare them anything that may allude to hell, so that when I do the teaching on it, it's going to be it's going to be a, a comp very comprehensive teachings. So we have another question from please, um, please, and I can't tell judging people. All right, maybe. Oh, stop sign, right? Please stop judging people. Um, uh, yeah, I like it. You know, Jesus said, "Get rid of the, the plank that's in your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye." A lot of people have giant planks in their eyes, and they're all worried about other people. They got things, their own problems, they got to work out. Doesn't mean we don't ever judge, but it does mean there's way too much judgment going on. So the question is, what scripture should we meditate on during these difficult times, including the horrible war, which may um, trickle into other areas? All right, so let me pull up a passage here that I think will be helpful for us as we consider on what kind of things we should meditate on. And it's interesting, meditation and the Bible says that we are to meditate on God's Word, right? Meditation is when you take time to deliberately think about something. You're, you're very present in, this is biblical meditation, you're very present in the moment and, and your mind is on something uh, extremely important and significant. So we're not talking about New Age meditation, or yoga meditation, we're talking about scriptural meditation. And that we wanna take time to sit down and meditate on the word of God day and night, and we'll be like a tree, Psalms 1, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, 
and whatever you will do will prosper. Well, I have a passage that I want to put up on the screen here, and this is Philippians 4. It starts in verse 8. I think it goes all the way through verse 10. And it, uh, you can see here, it, the title that I've got in my New King James Bible is Meditate on These Things. So, it's the idea of the kind of things you think about. So, what kind of things should you think about? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Well, the, the Word of God is true. There's truths, other tr truths that are in the world like, I love my wife, that's a truth to command it to in the Word of God. We have the belt of truth we're supposed to put on. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So meditate on what's true. Don't meditate on lies. Don't meditate. Meditate on God's Word. Meditate on what you know is true. Whatever things are noble. Noble, when someone does something noble, there's a sacrifice. So they, they run and they push somebody out in front of a train and the train hits them. That was noble. When someone sacrifices something for someone else that's significant, the more significant it is, the more noble it is. And what Jesus did on the cross for us was noble because he came taking on the form of a man, of a servant, and even the death of the cross. Whatever things are just, just is, is what, how you treat people. The Old Testament said these three things are required of you, that you love mercy, that you do justly, and you walk humbly with your God. And so to be just is to treat people properly. And then it says, whatever things are lovely. So you think about, you know, what, what, what kind of things are lovely to you? Think about a beautiful sunset. Think about beautiful flowers. God's, these are all God's creation. Think about the sacrifice of Jesus that gave us eternity. Whatever things are good. So there's a lot of bad that's out there in the world. Think about whatever things are good. If I'm thinking about the Ukraine crisis, we're partnering with Samaritan's Purse because they're doing a lot of really good things. Not only are they helping the, the immigrants that are fleeing from Ukraine, but they're helping to get food into Ukraine. That's good. Even though this is a horrible situation, it's good that there are groups that are doing that. And I want us to partner with them. I want to be a part of it. Is there any virtue? So, you know what virtue and vices are, right? So virtue, patience is a virtue. Um, outbursts of anger is a vice. So if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, we talked about praise a little bit earlier and how it flows out of our hearts. A lot of things that are praiseworthy. Meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. So our example is Paul. And I think we should have those examples as well. These do and the God of peace will be with you. So you're gonna gain peace as you think on these things. So that gives us a helpful idea. Um, please um, stop judging people. That gives us a helpful idea on the kind of things that we should meditate on and the kind of things that we should think about. Now I quickly went over that. There are a whole lot more um, things that we could talk about meditating on when we talk about going through the scriptures. But I think that almost everything, there's eight things mentioned there, eight things. I think almost everything that, that we can meditate on that's good is going to be in there. I think we could go through and go, good report. We, we listen to a lot of bad reports. Meditate on good reports. Have you heard of something good happening? Maybe even out of the war of the Ukraine, of Ukraine? someone sacrificing for someone else, meditate on those things. And um, 
the, the God of peace will be with you. And the first seven verses in the uh, Philippians chapter 4 are about peace. Be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And so all of that has to do with our thinking and the kind of things that we're doing. Um, my, my wife just came in. That's what the ding, ding, ding um, was all about. All right. So let me see if I've got another question um, that I can answer quickly because we only have, oh, it's four o'clock. Um, yeah, just let me get down here a little bit and see. I guess I'm going to go ahead and sign off. If you've submitted a question to us, uh, I look at those to make um, a slide or a thumbnail um, for future Q&As. Uh, but I hope that this has been helpful to you. Um, let me just, um, we got a follow-up question. And let me go ahead and just take this really quick and then I'll, and then I'll wrap up. So this is a follow-up question about, um, follow-up question regarding the different punishments in hell. Do people reap what they sow in hell? If you hit someone, would it be like you are continually being hit over and over again? Um, and my answer to that, Jari, is I'm, I don't know. Um, I'd have to look and see if there's there's anything in the Bible that would that would connect that or, or, or make that. Maybe, you know, maybe you know, people have suggested you're reliving the worst parts of your life over and over again, or the worst thing you did to somebody over and over again. Um, all of those would be hell. Um, but I don't know. I will spend time in the future again. We're going to be talking a lot more about hell as um, we get um, this study ready. Okay, so. God bless you guys. I hope that you've been blessed by the time that we spend here today. It's really good seeing all you guys. I love the community that is here. I love you guys saying hi when you come on. Um, last week, I know, and I, I didn't I, I didn't want to look and see if Tyler sent me a message. So Tyler did. Um, so a little behind, but not horrible. Okay, so our video, our audio and video has been not really synced up. Um, it was really bad last week. And uh, we made an adjustment, uh, so I'll probably have to make another adjustment. And uh, I'll try to remember to ask you guys earlier if it's all synced up from where you are. And if you guys can see that right now, if you can add it in, that'd be helpful to me to know. where uh, I'll see where you're coming from and whether or not our audio and video is synced up. Uh, tonight, we have a service on children. We have Jesus taking little children into his arms and blessing them. And when the disciples tried to stop him, he said, leave them alone. Don't hinder the children from coming to me. And then he said, you've got to become like one of these children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He even said, "Such the, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And John MacArthur, who knows Greek much better than I do, says that that's a category those children fall into. He says that that's a passage that is telling us that when children die, they go to heaven. Um, and losing a child is unthinkable, miscarriage, abortion, whatever. But when they die, they go to heaven. You can imagine that if a child went to hell, not knowing right from wrong, how awful that would be for them, not knowing why. They just didn't have, they didn't know what their right hand would do from their left hand. So we'll be talking about all of these things tonight as we see Jesus interact with kids, a lot of really good things, a lot of really good studies. So I don't see if anybody's told me whether or not our audio and video is linked up. 
I'll, I'll babble on here for a couple of seconds just to give you an opportunity. If you guys can let us know, yes, no, um, just simple yes, no. I'd like to know if to you, our audio and video is synced up or not. All right, so thank you guys again. The Lord bless you. Join us this weekend for our service. You can do so online, Roku, Apple TV, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, you can join us for the, the teaching. And then um, uh, tomorrow morning as well, we have both East and West campuses here in town. Um, you can go to calvertucson.com to watch our service in two hours about children. All right. So thank you very much and may the Lord really bless, uh, bless you. May you find yourself walking close with Jesus. May the Lord bring his peace into your life. May his countenance look upon you and bring you peace. And um, I, I hope that things go really, really well with you. And I'm gonna go ahead and sign off now. We will not have a Q&A on Wednesday because of our conference, but we will have a Q&A uh, the following Saturday. So Saturday from now, Lord willing, we'll have another Q&A. I love these. I love being able to spend time with you guys. I love the community that we're building here. And um, God bless you guys. Um,